Well, again, welcome, and I'm glad you're here worshiping together this morning. Uh, we're going to start a new series this morning, and, and my hope is that the text that we're going to look at is going to serve as introduction to get a foot, a foot in the door about this series. Uh, this fall, I want us to look together as a church at the Ten Commandments. And instead of jumping right into the Ten Commandments, I want to start in the New Testament because I want to frame how we're going to approach the Ten Commandments. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. And if you're, if you're not familiar with this part of Scripture, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are called the Sermon on the Mount. So this is, this is really the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's, he's sort of going public as the Messiah and teaching. And really, right out of the gates, he talks about the law of God, the commandments of God. So a very important passage. So we'll, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow in the bulletin, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Just yesterday, I was talking with a couple and a uh, husband and wife, and the wife, unsolicited, said, you know, w- we have almost stopped watching the news. And I've heard more people say that in the last six months or so than I think any other period of my life. I feel like I've even mentioned that myself sometime in the last year. And most of that has to do with the present political season that we're in, upon which I will not be commenting. But it just is so hyped, and, it's, and it, the tone is so shrill that even people who maybe have really kind of been news junkies and they love to get up and have their coffee and watch the news cycle have just said, I, I just cannot take it anymore. And, and I have felt less engaged with the news than I've been in a long time, somewhat, but uh, not very engaged. I want you to think about this, and again, I'm not making any kind of political comment, but wherever people fall on the, the political, which side of the political aisle or, or which camp or whatever, in, in some ways there's a question that everybody is asking, even if they don't know they're asking it. it it's driving things that we are asking or we're talking about. For someone, let's say, who, who is very, very, very interested in um, the Second Amendment, and being able to bear arms, being able to, to own a gun and, and, uh, and use a gun. They can be looking at a candidate and they can be asking the question, whether they say it this way or not, up underneath the other questions is, are you going to disregard the Constitution? Are, are, are you going to act like that's not there or are you going to act as if that is there? And by the same token, you can have somebody that's looking at a candidate, either nationally or even regionally or locally, and they're, and they're wondering, okay, now like my right to really have free speech, and not free speech just to say all the great things about you and all the great things about our country, but to like really be critical and really say what I really think, even when I'm upset, do I have the right to say that or write that or assemble with other people and communicate that? Do you really believe the Constitution on that? Or are you going to act like it's not there? Now, in some ways, this is really an an inadequate comparison because the Constitution of the United States doesn't compare to the role of the commandments in Judaism. I mean, the commandments are at the very heart of what what it was and is to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even to this day, I mean, Judaism has changed a lot over the centuries, but even to this day, if you go to a, a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, do you, know what that, do you know what that expression means, that name means? A son or a daughter of what? 
the commandment. Uh, one of the parts of that ceremony is for that boy or that girl or young man or young woman to read from the Torah in the original, to read from the law. Uh, when Jesus comes along, again, this is Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of his public ministry. People aren't thinking in terms of you're a Savior who's going to die on the cross. No one knows there's no way anyone could know that. No one is talking to him or thinking in terms of, you're going to be a Messiah who dies on a Roman cross. The big question for people who are just hearing him and sort of trying him on for size and kicking the tires of what this man has to say, the great question is, do you believe the law of Moses or not? Are, are you in line with the commandments of God, the law of God, or are you saying something else? And, I mean, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right out of the gate, he makes it very clear what his position is. So let's start on that note. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for all of your Word. Thank you for the law. Thank you for the Gospels. Thank you for what we learn about the law in the Gospels. And we would even say, Lord God, that, that there are those here who want to be sons of the commandments and daughters of the commandments, but in the right way, and we struggle to know what that means, or we struggle to believe that these commandments really have great meaning in our lives. So please help us and open up your word to us so that we rightly handle it, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my first year here in Greenville, I got a call from a man. He's not in our church. He was um, a member of another church in town. And he just knew that I was a new pastor, knew that I was working in the downtown, and I think he works close to downtown. He said, hey, love to get together. Let's go have lunch. And I thought, great, because especially that first year, I was a 90-degree learning curve about my, our new home. So uh, my office used to be over at the corner of Coffee Street and Church Street. So we met over at my office, and we were walking down Coffee Street. And I could, I could just remember this vividly. We're, we're, we're just, we haven't even reached lunch yet. We're walking down Coffee Street. And uh, this man's just talking about Greenville and talking about kind of what's going on in our culture today. And we're not even to Main Street yet. And he says, well, the, the problem is that people today just don't even obey the Ten Commandments. Now, Okay, hit the pause button. I'll just say to you, if you and I are having a conversation, 
I always want to take you on your terms. I don't want to have like just an automatic response to anybody's statement or question. But I will tell you that if you and I are ever hanging out and you say to me, you know what, people just need to obey the Ten Commandments, I can guarantee you what I'm going to say next. And I'm going to frame it in, in a question. And some of you already know what the question is. What question would I ask you at that point? If you say to me, people just need to obey the Ten Commandments. Do you obey the Ten Commandments? And I think that if someone were to say, yes, my next question is going to be, do you know the Ten Commandments? (laughs) There's more besides just kill, and you've broken that one too, but we'll get to that in a second. And, And I'm saying that as a commandment breaker. And I don't want glory in being a commandment breaker. I'm not proud of being a commandment breaker. We celebrate Jesus because he's the answer for commandment breakers. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But uh, suffice it to say, you will know that Jesus has reframed how you understand the Ten Commandments when you become more empathetic with other commandment breakers. Let me say that again. You will know that Jesus has reframed the Ten Commandments for you when you find yourself becoming more empathetic with other commandment breakers. And again, I'm not saying that sin becomes more, uh, you're more okay with it and it's not a big deal. It's a gigantic deal. And Jesus just said, look, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Teach and obey these commandments. But when Jesus reframes them, how you read them and understand them and respond to them, we should find ourselves finding a lot of camaraderie with the other people that break these Ten Commandments. So let's look at this. And I'm just calling this Commandments 101 because I feel like this passage is so formative for how we should think about the Ten Commandments, the law of God, from Jesus' perspective. So here's my points. I've got three points, and two, two of these points sound like they contradict each other. So, so there's that. All right, here's the three points. The commandments endure, the commandments expose, and the commandments end. The commandments endure, the commandments expose, and the commandments end. All right, first off, what do we mean the commandments endure? And really, Jesus could not be more crystal clear or more explicit. All right, and if, in fact, he sort of says it negatively, and then he says it positively. Okay, first off, negatively, the beginning of verse 17. Beginning of his public ministry, teaching to a crowd, right out of the chute. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Or you could translate that, do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. My ministry, I, Jesus, did not come to get rid of your scriptures And for our purposes, specifically, I did not come to make the law of Moses go away. Negatively. Positively. Look at the next verse. Truly, I say to you, and we're used to Jesus talking that way. They were not. This is the beginning of his ministry. They were used to teachers and rabbis speaking in terms of, well, Rabbi so-and-so said in, uh, to so-and-so, quoting other, quoting other authorities, quoting other rabbis, quoting writings, Jesus would say, I, Jesus, say to you. 
Amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, on my own authority. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota. Now, that would be a Greek rendering of a yod. And a yod looks like, it's like a Hebrew, uh, it's a letter, but it looks like an apostrophe. It is the smallest mark you could make in writing Hebrew. Not a yod is going to go away. Then he says, not a dot. And that would mean like, if the difference between this Hebrew letter and that Hebrew letter is just this little mark right there, like a little horn on the end of it, that's not going to go away. Heaven and earth will go away before a stroke of the law goes away. The law endures. The law and the prophets endure. Um, I put this other passage, it's a parallel passage, in the bulletin from Luke 16. The law and the prophets were until John. And that's Jesus acknowledging there is something like an Old Testament era. There was a different era. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Now, why is it important to emphasize that? Because, among other things, for two millennia, Christians have been debating this. There have even been people who have explicitly said Jesus came to destroy the works, uh, to destroy the law, which is so strange because he explicitly said, no, I didn't. If you look in the book of Acts when the gospel is really starting to go from this local thing to just a regional thing to a global thing, and it's pushing into different cultures, and it's going into different countries, especially, where was the first stop when the gospel went into a city? Was it just the street corner? The first stop was the synagogue. And the synagogue was a place where what was read on a regular basis, the law of Moses and the prophets. And some people, when they heard the gospel that like Paul brought, they believed. They they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But what some people heard was, you are abolishing Moses. To say they were upset is an understatement. That was, that, was, uh, that was an offense worth, worthy of uh, capital punishment. We kill people for doing that. Jesus, I'm going to harp on this. Jesus says, my ministry, what I came to do is not to make the law and the prophets, and for our purposes, to make the commandments of God go poof and neutralize and vaporize and go away. They endure. It it would be a waste of our time to study the Ten Commandments all fall if they went away. Jesus says they didn't. All right, second thing, the commandments expose. Look in verse 19. Tell you what, let let me read the second part of verse 19 and then the first part. Let me do it out of order. The second part flows out of what we just said. Whoever does these commandments and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says it is a wonderful thing to do the law of God and teach the law of God. Makes sense if it endures. But look at how he starts verse 19. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
whoever relaxes. And what does that mean? Whoever explains or teaches or even just on your own insides. You're not teaching. You're not instructing. Just the way you process it inside of yourself. If you dial down the difficulty or the requirements or the challenges of any of these commandments, Jesus says, you will be least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, why would anybody be tempted to do that? Why would anybody be tempted to relax any of the commandments? And this is where we really start getting into how Jesus changes everything. For sinners, the problem is that he doesn't make the commandments go away. And this is forever interesting if we'll see it. Jesus' most severe words were for whom? And I'm not telling you, hey, I communicate for a living. I'm not telling you how to feel about it or what should fascinate you, but I'm just saying, if we would stop and look at it, this should be forever enjoyable and fascinating to us that prostitutes and drunks and hucksters were attracted to him and found him accessible and he welcomed them. But with whom did he use his most severe words? He used his most severe words with experts and rigorous students of the commandments and the law and the prophets. And that's interesting because what people might hear is, okay, yeah, he's critical of them. He's telling them, hey, don't be so uptight. Don't be so strident about everything. Don't, don't be so intense about the law of God. Is that Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees? See, his interaction is not... Why do you make such a big deal out of the law of God? His interaction is, you have made the law of God relaxed. You've relaxed it where you can really do it. And do you know where you see that? Is the passages right after this passage. Because immediately Jesus starts saying, Now, you have heard it said. And that's very important. He's not talking about the written scripture. He's talking about how his culture is interpreting it and talking about it and applying it in real time and teaching it. You've heard it said, and he'll quote the commandment of God, and and he'll say, but I say to you, and he'll dig deeper into the commandment. He doesn't change the commandment. He opens it up more to show you what's always been there. For instance, I just kind of refer to this one. It's, It's just common For someone to say, I mean, I think I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. Jesus takes the commandment, do not murder. He doesn't make it go away. Our problem is he opens it up and says, yeah, what does that mean? You ever hated anyone? You ever fantasized about someone going away? Any spouses here? You ever gotten so tired of your spouse that you're just kind of sitting there in the midst of a chore, you're at your desk, you're at the sink, you're at a red light, and you kind of fantasize about, wow, what if my spouse just died? And boy, I like so-and-so over there. What if their spouse died and we got to connect and there wasn't anything scandalous about it? Wouldn't that be great? Man, so now we're killing off two people. 
you know, the expression greased pole to hell comes to mind. Jesus is the one who opened that up and said, you know what, that's always been there. The commandments exposes. Verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, many of you have heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. To us, we go, of course, if you've read the Gospels, the Pharisees are always just catching it. They're always in trouble with Jesus. Of course, you got to be better than them because we kind of picture them just having like devil horns on or something. That's not how it sounded to the people who first heard the Sermon on the Mount. When they heard Jesus say, all right, the level of obedience of the Pharisees, the, the most sold out people in your world, you must exceed them. That, that, that would just almost lead you to despair. I mean, like, if they found a dime, they tithed a penny. I'm not there. You must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. And the thing is, the more you try and work to fulfill the commandments and you come to grips with what all is there and Jesus is the one who opens those boxes and says, here's what's in here. And when you come up to this commandment that says, you shall not commit adultery and you're single, don't like wipe your brow and go, whoo, adultery, that's the thing that married people do. So off the hook, what you've really done is you've opened up a container called sexuality. That's what that whole, that whole container is in that commandment. When we give ourselves to obeying, not just teaching, but obeying, you will quickly find yourself exposed. The law is supposed to do that. You know, one of the things that the Allied forces did when they um, liberated the concentration camps that had been used in the Holocaust, and there's footage of this, it's very moving. One of the things they did is that in certain areas, they went into the surrounding village or town and got the locals and marched them through the camps. Not just to help them work, like help them move corpses. Help them clean up. But just so they would see it and smell it. There's black and white footage of German villagers men and women walking through with handkerchiefs over their faces just weeping. Some knew something was going on. Maybe some didn't want to believe that something was going on. And it, they were marched through and they had to deal with this is the real deal. Here's what really happened. And you know what? The law of God marches us through our own hearts. It's as if the law of God says, I I know, I know that you want to believe that you are a good person, but let's think for a moment about truth-telling. Let's think for a moment about what it really is to be a woman or a man who really tells the truth and doesn't bend it or modify it to serve your purposes. That if the truth means that I have to be embarrassed or I have to do this hard thing or I have to feel like a fool then I'm willing to do that because that's the right thing. 
And the reason it's the right thing is because God always tells me the truth. It's the law that opens us up that way. It's hard. It's hard to be opened up that way. So what about this last point? You know, the commandments endure. The commandments expose. The commandments end. And that, we just got through saying the commandments keep going. And now we're saying the commandments end. What does that mean? Uh, our family was on the road last week, and we were on, a, I believe it's I-22, that I think mostly goes through a part of Alabama. And it was just one of the most desolate interstates I have ever been on. That saved us time. But I'm telling you, if you're ever on I-22, make sure you've got a full tank of gas and your car's been checked. Because if you break down on I-22, that, that just may be it. I mean, they may just find like cadavers in the car. Just remote. Now, I-22, at least if you're going, what would that be? If you're going east, ends. You know, so, some interstates, they, just, they don't really seem to end. They just kind of hook into another interstate and just kind of blends in. It really is an interstate that ends, at least for now, in its present form. Uh, our family lives at the bottom of a hill. To get to our house, there's just this one road that you can take. You, you get to the bottom of a hill, and that road ends. And then we're the second house on the right. When, when we say it ends, that doesn't mean the road disappears and vaporizes and goes away. When you come to the end of I-22, it doesn't go away. It's still there. It just means it has a terminus. The commandments end. What's the end of the commandment? They still, they still endure. But what's the end of the commandments? And the New Testament could not be more clear. Let me quote the Apostle Paul. And listen, he grew up being taught by the best rabbis. He had a world-class education in Tarsus. Devout Jew, pharisaical training. He was taught to be a man of the commandments. He studied them in a depth that we can't really relate to. He could not do it. And when Jesus brought him to himself and changed his heart and made him an apostle, years later, he wrote this letter to the Roman Christians. And one of the things he writes in this letter to the Romans, he says, Christ is the end of the law. Romans 10, verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. What does that mean? At least a couple of things. Let's go back to his words. Verse 17, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There's been a lot of ink spilled about what does that mean? That Jesus came to fulfill, for our purposes, the commandments. But let's think about two. Number one, Jesus obeyed them perfectly. I mean, you know how it is when, when you're... When you hear some daunting requirement, you need to watch somebody do it for it to seem plausible. If, if there had never been such a thing as skydivers and somebody said, you know what I think we should do? I think we should jump out of planes with kind of a screen over you and see how it goes. You'd go, terrible idea. But when you, you know, the fact that thousands and thousands and thousands of people have done this, it makes it plausible that they, they did it before you. They, they displayed it. Jesus Christ, in his humanity, 
was the one true obedient Israelite. He, he showed us what somebody who keeps every stroke of the law is like. And you know what's beautiful about that? Because even, even as I say Ten Commandments, you maybe just feel like some kind of bad poster that was on a Sunday school wall or debates about having this up in public schools or, or whatever. The one man who came and obeyed the whole thing perfectly, the most loving man who ever lived. Like, he's the man who's the most severe with the self-righteous people and the most accessible and the most hopeful for the broken and really sinful people is the guy who kept the commandments perfectly. That's very encouraging. Jesus shows us what an obedient Israelite looks like, a man of the commandments. But can we stop there? You know, I mean, I've, some of you have heard me say this many times. If, if, if the big takeaway for us is, we'll just go be like Jesus, does that give you hope? Just love everybody perfectly every time and God. Knock yourself out. Is that hopeful? Go back to verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what are we going to do? Obey enough to exceed it? Now hear me. These commandments are for obeying. But this is where we are so privileged to have the rest of the New Testament. Because what do we find in the rest of the New Testament is that If you believe in Jesus Christ, God looks at Jesus' perfect keeping of the commandments. If you believe Him, before you do anything, if you believe Him, God takes His righteousness, His obedience, and He gives you credit for it. He credits you, the believer, as obeying the commands like Jesus did. That is good news. That's going to be the template through which we look at the law of God. All of us are going to be exposed. All of us are going to be stretched. I hope all of us are going to be very convicted every week. But is the takeaway to walk out and go, I will do better. I will do better. Kind of the line in the Wizard of Oz, I do believe in spooks. Or is the end to turn to Jesus first and say, help. Help me. Forgive my sins. I need your righteousness. Change my heart. Make me a daughter of the commandments. A son of the commandments. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that. We pray that you would make us men and women who have seen Jesus and believed Him and trusted Him and fed on Him, have abided in His Word, have drunk in His grace, that You make of us sons of the commandments, daughters of the commandments, that the law would lead us to Jesus And because of him, the law would be to us a law of freedom. We ask this in his name. Amen.